Hello, and welcome back to Join the Food Fight, Libraries and Food Insecurity, a Team Vittles podcast recorded May 6, 2020. In today's episode, we'll be speaking with Ashley Routabush and Kimberly Ashton of Children's Hunger Alliance. We will also be joined by Tamara Reed of the Plain City Daily Needs Assistance, their community center. Janet Ingram Dwyer of the State Library of Ohio, Kate McCartney of the Marysville Public Library, and I'll be your host, Mr. Rourke. Uh, I'm actually Shane Hoffman of the Plain City Public Library. Today we'll be talking with Children's Hunger Alliance about getting involved in the Summer Food Service Program during the coronavirus pandemic. So without further ado, let's begin. Let's introduce ourselves. I'll start. I'm Shane Hoffman. I'm with the, uh, wow, I almost introduced myself from the Pickaway County Library. I spent about 12 years down there, but I'm actually with the Plain City Public Library. Uh, Janet? Hi, everybody. I'm Janet Ingraham Dwyer. I'm the Youth Services Consultant at the State Library of Ohio, and it's great to be on the call with everyone. Thank you. Tamara? Hey everybody, I am Tamara Reed. I'm the Executive Director of Daily Needs Assistance. We're an outreach of families in poverty in the Greater Plain City area. Ashley? Hi, my name is Ashley. I am the After School and Summer Nutrition Program Manager at Children's Hunger Alliance. Excited to talk today. And Kimberly. Hi, I'm Kimberly. I'm the After School um, Nutrition Specialist for Columbus and Southeast Ohio. All right, well, thank you all for being here. Uh, wish we didn't have such a, an emergency need to have this meeting, but I think it'll be good to get uh, some of the information out here. Uh, if you don't mind, if I could uh, start with just a little bit of background, if uh, someone could let me know how Children's Hunger Alliance uh, about the program they started to get into all 88 counties with the Shelf Stable program. Yeah. Um, so we've been um, kind of piloting in some areas. Um, you know, we've normally been servicing after school programs with meals and snacks um, in major metropolitan areas and then some like still pretty suburban areas through major hot and cold vendors. Um, and one of the needs we notice is that if we're traveling to smaller, you know, more rural populations, either a hot and cold vendor just doesn't have the capacity to get hot and cold meals there, or there's not a local vendor that can support, you know, the kind of operations that we handle normally. So um, Shelf Stable was kind of initially developed as a way to, um, you know, provide meals in case People needed extra meals to reduce waste, but um, it's, you know, more kind of transformed into us being able to reach populations that we haven't before um, with shelf-stable meals and not having to worry about temperature um, and, you know, making sure that they're there by a specific time. Their, you know, sites don't have to deal with the vendor each day and doing, taking temperatures and things like that. So um, that's kind of been, we've really started to expand that more um, robustly, I would say, this the school year. Um, the things were cut off a little short. Um, we still have managed to do pretty um, expansive work this year alone um, that we're definitely excited to keep, you know, 
keep rolling into um, future school years once things um, hopefully go a little bit more back to normal. Now, is Children's Hunger Alliance also able to work as a sponsor for like the summer food service program? Yes, so um, we're approved as a summer sponsor right now. Um, we've been doing all of our emergency feeding actually um, that we've been doing the last couple of weeks has been, is covered under um, summer feeding. So in previous years, we haven't really done much summer feeding. Our first like major pilot was with three programs in Columbus about three years ago. Um, so it's something, a large scale sponsorship is something that's a little bit new to us, but we're kind of just diving right in. We're pretty much doing it right now with this emergency feeding um, uh, business, but we are looking to, you know, continue to do that, I think in the upcoming years um, with that as well. Uh, one of the things we've been hearing a little bit about with uh, the eligibility to serve different constituencies is that there might have been a change in the eligibility level for reimbursement. Uh, I think typically it's a 50% free and reduced price lunch uh, utilization in a school district. And I have it in my head somewhere that I heard it might have been dropped down to 30%. Yeah, so um, currently due to you know COVID-19, um, ODE has lowered area eligibility waivers to um, 30%. Um, it needs to be approved on a, you know, case-by-case -case basis um, by the Ohio Department of Education. And right now that waiver only currently extends through June 30th of this year. They might be looking to extend it along with the other um, flexibilities that are currently in place, but they nothing's been announced officially yet. Uh, how long does it take to get involved with the program if we were to apply for an area that has some need that fits in that 30 to 50 percent window to try to get something going? Right now we're probably looking at maybe an end of May like second to last week of May maybe to get started at a location if they were within um, that 30 to 50. One other tool that we're able to use for summer is census data as well so my first thing would be to check if the, um, the address is you know, fits under the qualification through census data, which is something that is only applicable for uh, summer food service programs. If it didn't, then we could, you know, reach out to the higher department education with a couple of lists of sites and say that these sites would only be able to be served during, while the area eligibility waiver's in place, and then afterwards we would, you know, have to agree to um, make sure the sites know that we're not able to serve, sponsor them anymore. And this might just be a uh, gap in my knowledge, but I, I know how to use the USDA maps to find the uh, free and reduced price lunch eligibility, but I do not know how to check for the census block eligibility. Yeah, it's, um, there's a, a website that on the USDA website, um, it's, let's see here. It's kind of confusing, but it's, um, it's fns.usda.gov slash area eligibility. Okay, and that's basic, the difference between those two, gotcha. Yeah, and um, the you type in an address, and the map is broken up into red and blue. And I'm pretty sure I, I'd have to double check my uh, administrative guide, but I think red is good. Like red means you'd be able to serve, and blue is you wouldn't be able to serve. So um, it's I have you have to think about it because it's the opposite of what you would think. <laughs> yeah. 
Okay, that makes sense because I've used the capacity builder map before and just always clicked on yeah. that button and I assumed that the area eligibility mapper was using the same data. I was wrong. No, yeah, it's different. Um, there's also a frac tool that has a longer, um, that's also a tool that we've used in the past. I can share those links um, at the end of the call too. Yeah, the frac tool is what we use in Marysville just because okay. it gives us a really good outline for the census numbers. But it's the same. It'll have a big red space in the areas that you can serve in. I think it gives other colors. So it does red for for sure, yellow for areas that are kind of. There's a one that's like a maybe. You have to yeah. like check. <laughs> yeah, you have to you have to reach out and find out if that's an area. And then if it's the green, then you're just like out of luck. Those are places you can't serve in. This is Janet and Ashley. I don't know if you know this or not, or if this even exists. But is do does either the USDA or FRAC or maybe the ODE have a map that is reflective of the temporary thirty percent eligibility? Nothing exists to my knowledge. Um, I, the only mapping tool that I know ODE has for right now is basically just like a list of sites that are currently serving or providing meals. Um, sure. That they're updating pretty regularly. I think the last time I checked, it had been updated like two or three days ago. So you know, there's there is a list that exists of like who is currently offering meals in every area, um, but nothing that I think captures because technically the USDA waiver um, didn't specify that it had to be thirty percent. They just kind of waived everything, and then ODE decided to mark the draw the line on the 30 percent we have one site that we are currently operating that's 41 percent and we did have to kind of fight pretty hard to to get that on the list basically just to serve them so okay so i understand i'm sorry shane i'm, I'm just kind of jumping in because i'm so fascinated by all of this and and ashley you are you are answering questions i didn't even know that i had so this is awesome and i know that you only know what the ODE knows and the ODE only knows what the USDA has determined and so forth. But so it sounds because all of the states currently have this waiver, but it sounds like the waiver just means you can make your decisions at the state level. So it's possible that another state might have lowered the eligibility to 25% and another state might have lowered the eligibility to 45% or used just yeah. a different set of criteria altogether. That's my current understanding of it is that it's was kind of just a blanket waiver and then states are determining um, kind of on a case by case basis what they need for their you know needs of where where to place that eligibility. Well, thank you. Mm -hmm. Somebody was interested in getting started on this program. How would how would they go about uh, making that initial contact, would they come to you? Would they go to the ODE first? Yeah, no, they can come straight to us. Um, kind of just some generic information that we like to know, get off the bat is just an address, um, you know, what days of the week they're thinking of serving and like what an estimated number of kids is. Um, but yeah, they can come directly to us um, and we can kind of work out, you know, application materials and details with them. And with number of days people are serving right now, if this is operating on the uh, SFSP schedule, are groups still able to do uh, two a day within the normal restrictions on SFSP? Um, two a day. Do you mind kind of extrapolating like they would do on that? Breakfast and a snack, or lunch and dinner, or whatever combination. So, 
but yeah, they come, they can do two meals. Um, the current, you know, most, what most sites that are doing right now that have do two meals is either a breakfast and a lunch or breakfast and a supper. Um, lunch and supper aren't able to be served by the same site location. Um, we don't currently have any snacks available to be doing. We're just kind of limiting to breakfast and lunch um, with there are more components in those at two anyways. Um, currently with other flexibilities that are in place um, for emergency feeding, we're able to do grab and go. So a site can be open for you know 12 to 1, but they can still technically do breakfast and lunch right now um, and just give both of them the to the child. What can you tell me um, or tell us what kind of shelf stable foods are they giving? And if, if you're coming, you know, let's say Monday through Friday, are they giving the same things every day or what does that look like? Yeah, so right now we're in a little bit more of a piecing together things than we normally are. So normally we have like a set menu. Um, that's 10 days and we rotate through it um, and the boxes are all nice and organized but um, due to just the massive amount of food that we need to produce in a short time frame um, we're kind of also doing some piece together shelf stable meals that we're making in our office currently um, that you know are a little bit more of the same items just trying to get you know meals out the door so generally what those look like is a grain component so could be whole wheat um, goldfish crackers or honey grams or um, pizza crackers or something along those lines, um, pretzels or another one. Um, it's going to be that, a fruit component, so maybe um, a fruit cup, bandron organs or mixed fruit, craisins, um, things like that. A protein, which right now we're kind of alternating between having to use sun butter and wow butter, um, meat sticks, cheese bars, and um, we have had to use some peanut butter, which is normally not something that we try to do just with, to avoid nut allergies in general, but um, some of our sources are having a hard time sourcing, um, you know, specialty butters right now. Um, most of the meals have a milk component in them still. Still, it's a soy milk, um, or not a soy milk, my apologies. It's just a shelf-stable based milk, like a Horizon. Um, and then for juice, um, or we have a juice component in there that's a vegetable component as well. That's the basic. It's four to five components, um, depending on the, the meal type. Some of those things, you know, we're rotating a little bit, but the stuff in our office is mostly the same components um, and with a couple of items that might be switched out depending on. Um, so do you go to, you'll go to the same, same site, like Monday through Friday if needed, and it would be you know, they would be getting a lot of, and I, I've, I've been working on trying to source things too. It is very hard mm -hmm. to find anything yeah. right now. <laughs> so I appreciate the struggle for sure. Um, but my question is essentially, are they basically getting the same thing every day? For now, yes. We're working yeah. to get, to try to get it a little bit more diversified or being more intentional okay. about diversifying it. But to be, you know, frank, we've just we've wanted to make sure that we're able to provide something that we've just yeah. kind of been trying to get everything and send yeah. it out the door. Um, we're currently serving in Columbus alone, I think more meals than we serve in our entire state for after school. So um, it's, there's a lot, the need is very high right now. So we're just trying to, you know, make sure that we can be available yeah. to help if we, where we need to be. Yeah, I understand. So are you actually, are you covering all of your like pre public health emergency sites 
and, and doing more in central Ohio right now as well? Um, so, you know, we, we do have a, a handful of sites that we normally serve in after school that have tra transitioned over to this period, um, you know, primarily being rec centers in Cincinnati and Cleveland. Um, in Columbus, there are just a couple of um, sites that work in leasing offices and um, a couple of like other organization based. Um, and then, yeah, we've had some new partners reach out to us too that normally we don't serve or maybe we serve their the buildings, but we don't serve that organization through that organization. Um, we're also partnering to do third meals at um, the Columbus City Schools, which have been a, um, a pretty big undertaking. Um, they do about 15,000 meals a week. So um, we're adding a third component or a third meal to, to that essentially. It must be so topsy-turvy because a lot of your <laughs> regular meal, this meal sites that you would have been working with in the after-school sites that you would have been working with under ordinary circumstances, their buildings are all closed because they're all congregate right. settings. They're all mm -hmm. after-school programs and community centers and schools and libraries. And so I imagine that a lot of them are just not, they're essentially not in business right now. Yeah. And I mean, a lot of had to furlough staff. And I mean, I know our the Columbus libraries in particular, you know, have had to furlough, you know, a large majority of their staff. So, um, you know, we're trying to still partner with them in ways that we can. So for our libraries in Columbus, for example, we actually have two staff members from our office that run a mobile unit to three parking lots of the libraries right now um, and do, they usually serve about 250 to 300 kids a day, uh, Monday through Friday there. So, so trying to be creative and innovative a little bit and serving, make, making sure that communities that normally have these resources are still getting something, even though if it's not the normal, you know, after school type setting. Since the uh, methods for distribution have changed, are you, I'm just making the assumption here that it's easier to serve more people with fewer volunteers now since it's a grab and go. Yeah, um, generally speaking, yeah, we, we still like to, or we encourage sites to have at least two staff members, you know, one for physical distribution and the other one to help do record keeping. Um, it's still a requirement that we need to do, but, you know, it's, it is a little bit easier because you can just, I mean, at our library sites here, we just have people drive up in their cars and we ask them how many meals and put the meals in their cars and then they drive off. I mean, it's definitely a little bit more simplified than having, you know, a congregate meal setting like sites normally have to do where they're monitoring kids for an entire hour period um, and making sure they all sit down and wash their hands and, you know, get the right components and things like that. What is the least amount that you will come out for? Like, I mean, if it, I mean, cause you're, you're dealing with really large groups. So some of the pockets in our area are, you know, significantly smaller. So mm -hmm. how small do you go? So, as long as the sites have a decent amount of like storage capacity and we can just make like maybe one, you know, medium, more medium sized run that can last them, you know, maybe three to four to five weeks. Um, there's no like real number. We, if our vendor won't do it out of Columbus, um, we actually have rented vans and our, have our staff going to do some drop locations. So, you know, if we have our own staff doing it, there's not a true minimum. The van only holds, you know, 40, 2,400 meals total, but um, so, you know, we would still want to try to do at least like a larger size drop where we just have to go maybe once or twice um, throughout, you know, the serving time frame. Um, but from what the site actually serves, there's no, you know, if you serve five meals, if you serve 10 meals, um, you know, that's still 
you know, we feel that that's still meeting a need that's there. If we had multiple smaller sites and they, but they didn't have a lot of storage, is is it possible that they could all meet your delivery somewhere and then get a couple of days worth of food and head back and sort of deliver to you know six or seven sites all at once from that one location? So what we can do, what we've done at some locations is we have just like maybe a central drop-off location that has more a bit of a storage. And then what the sites do is they just go to that location daily or weekly or however often they need to, and they just pick up the meals that they need from there. Um, so if there was a larger place that we could store, that we could store and just deliver all to that place, that's definitely something that we can do. Uh, let's see. Before I move on to this one, I was just wondering if there is anything we haven't touched on about the uh, summer food program yet that you would like to share? Um, so one thing I will just say that I've, we've been talking to our sites that are currently serving about this and you know right now all of the flexibilities that we have um, like right now do only currently extend through June 30th so it's just something to keep in mind you know there's a high likelihood we think at least that they'll extend the flexibilities at least through the end of the summer um, hopefully, you know, through the end of August, but nothing's been confirmed yet. And we don't have any, you know, time frame as to when that will be confirmed. So, um, technically, you know, July 1, all of the flexibilities flip off. Um, so it's not really something that, you know, you need to, like, there's no, we're not telling you you need to do one thing or another. It's just something to kind of keep in mind as you're going through all of this, um, to kind of think, okay, well, if we did have to do congregate feeding starting July 1, or, you know, maybe if, making sure families are aware that, you know, we may have to stop meal service on June 30th if we don't technically qualify under normal parameters. Um, you know, that's something that will help sites with, and, you know, we're, here's a resource, but, um, and like, it, we don't expect them to monitor waivers and things like that, we'll tell them, <laughs> but um, it's just something to keep in mind. Do you do any like backpack or weekend food programs in conjunction with these? Um, so right now under grab and go, what we've been able to do is some sites, if they operate on Fridays or maybe if they don't operate every single day, what we can do is we can provide them with enough meals to fill the days that they're not serving. So if a site serves Friday, but they want to provide meals for the weekend, we can give them three meals on Friday, one for Friday, Saturday, Sunday. Similarly to if some sites that haven't had the capacity to do meal services every single day of the week, like if they're just distributing once a week or something like that, we could give each child up to a max of seven seven meals. Um, so, you know, one for each day of the week to cover them while we're not doing everyday distribution. Thank you. Are you, are you actively looking for more sites now for this period before June, July 30th or June, June 30th, or are you kind of maxed out? I can't imagine how much you guys are doing. <laughs> I just can't imagine it. Yeah, so it's kind of like, it's. A, I would say it's a bit of an in-between. We're not currently actively looking for sites. More so, it's like we're getting calls pretty much every day to kind of ask about that. Um, so, you know, in our major metropolitan areas, we're making, we have to make sure that we're not overlapping and like, you know, we want to be intentional and ODE also wants us to be intentional, of course, about, you know, if there's a site that's a block away from me, I don't want to have another site where I am. Um, you know, because you could potentially be double feeding. So, you know, intentional, but, you know, at the same time, not um, not actively searching. Also, be just because, you know, 
were in trying to do everything else, I don't think I would have enough time to actively search for site locations either. Um, but <laughs> we're, we are like look, seriously looking into all the inquiries that we get. Now is ODE looking at sites that coordinate meals together? Like say you've got two sites, they're fairly close, but one is doing breakfast and maybe the other is trying to do dinner or did you say there yeah are and that's that's what we've done at some of our locations that are closed that we've added recently um you know if there's a school that's doing breakfast and lunch right down the road then we're just doing dinner at that site location this is this is really helpful to know ashley as you probably know that for months now we've been really um heavy selling cha to libraries as you know, as uh um fantastic sponsor to be able to support libraries in eligible you know and, and say CACFP SFSP eligible areas with shelf stable meals that is you know we've already discussed solve a lot of the issues of those libraries that are out there in counties with fewer no sponsors and that don't have refrigeration and that are scared of doing hot meals and so forth but I was also and and right now they're all closed and a lot of them as you said have furloughed staff and so this isn't something that they're doing right now but as as the libraries are thinking about the steps that they might take to start reopening a very very common first step sounds like it's going to be curbside pickup of library materials so that you know mm -hmm. the people in the neighborhood or community can drive up same as they do for you know for a lot of like grocery delivery and um, food delivery and food pantries um, and just have a staff member put the books into their trunk that they pop open. Mm -hmm. That that format of doing some kind of stripped down library service seems to me like it would really easily accommodate also picking up food at the same time. And yeah. so I'm kind of motivated to say, hey, libraries, as long as you're thinking about doing this, think about that. But I also, I don't want to push a bunch of people to go and call you if you don't want all those calls right now. <laughs> I mean, yeah. I, I don't know if they will or not, but. Right. No, I mean, I would say, you know, there, we definitely are looking and, you know, making sure that we, if there are areas that, you know, we need to be in that, you know, we try to our best to be able to do them. You know, we're also looking to is like every site we add, we're making sure, do we have enough meals currently to supply them to? So, um, you know, we, that's kind of something it's like, I, one day I think, okay, yeah, we have enough meals for the next three weeks. And then apparently something happens magically. And then the next day, all of those meals are gone. <laughs> um, so, you know, it's definitely just taking a, a look at everything individually and making sure that it fits into, you know, everything that we're doing as a whole. I do agree though, that the curbside pickup model, it's something that we've actually been talking to the Dayton libraries about um, over the last couple of days, pretty um, in depth of trying to pair meal service with that. Um, and it sounds like we're going to be successful in doing that at least at a couple of branches. Yeah, which is great. So it's definitely, you know, accommodates that because if you're putting stuff, you know, all you need to do is add the meals in and put it in the, and then just do the, you know, check marks for that. So um, it's, it does fit into the, how the current model works um, very well. Oh, oh, I'm sorry. Can I ask a follow-up question to that, Janet and um, Ashley? So, Janet, was your question about providing like snacks or were you talking about doing the lunch? I was talking about, well, I, I, either, I guess either. So, in particularly using the shelf stable model that, that um, CHA is continuing to 
to do through this to the extent that you know <laughs> to the extent they can and i understand that sourcing has been a challenge uh, so i guess my only question would be is if, if we're talking lunch for like sssp type service as a site um there are really strong restrictions on when you're certain I mean, you have to tell them what time you're starting and what time you're ending so it wouldn't necessarily be able to be as free as curbside maybe would allow i just don't want i just would want to make sure we caution it would yeah. have to be during certain hours and then that right. also depends on what the usda waivers say for the summer because i know that some of these various restrictions have been relaxed since they since it's ordinarily sfsp is strictly congregate and right now there's no such thing as congregate so they've obviously had to get rid of that um, yeah, there's there is to a, a waiver for meal times, so you don't have to have traditional meal times when they normally would happen. You also aren't limited to like I think lunch is like an hour to an hour and a half is the general like cutoff for normal SFSP. Um, I have a couple of sites that are doing three hour to four hour services, um, so it's it's something that we can do. And two, I mean, you can also in the way you advertise, you can say, you know, curbside is from this time to this time, but then from 12 to 2, we're also providing meals, something along those lines. So, you know, um, can, can that application, that part of the application be altered with ODE if you've already turned it in with the, the old kind of, of rules? Are they, I know that in the past they've tried to be kind of like you can alter those things if you find that you need Yeah, to. I think so. Um, when we've been entering stuff, we've just been kind of, um, there's like, we have a box on our application that says like, is there an exception to the meal time or something like that? And we just go and write and say, and like current four hour serving time due to, you know, okay. pandemic or something along those lines. Okay. Cause yeah, we just, we, I've got the final okay from our school that they're going to do it with us again this year. She's turned in the application and all that jazz. Um, but we are now trying to figure out the, the traffic flow yeah and, mm -hmm. and yes in a, a short turnaround time the traffic flow is going to be a lot worse right so we should I'm, be able to to work with the the school as a sponsor they should have flexibilities to be able to update the application yeah. um it'll just kind of be on however their system is we've yeah. we've been able we've been kind of fluid with our application right now as we go in and add sites and change things um but i think that varies a little bit per sponsor depends on how flexible they want to be <laughs> <laughs> If nobody minds, I'm going to attempt to launch into prognostication mode. Go for it. Thinking forward into the fall, right now, given everything we know and thinking about TACFP and after-school meals and that, do you, really, do you anticipate what we're doing now just flowing right on into the fall, or do you anticipate some major difference in how after school meals are going to be done and if you could explain the after school meal program a little bit yeah that's a great question and to be to be frank probably not one i've thought much about um <laughs> i kind of think day to day these days um but it's a great question i think truly i think it really just wholly depends on what schools are able to do starting in the fall i mean you know is there a two-day school week and then the rest is remote um or is it you know, all everything's back in five days a week. True, I think that really is the, the main um, factor that's going to determine whether or not meal service looks a little bit like it does now or more like it normally does during the after school time. So I, I think we're going to be waiting on answers to that for probably another couple of months. 
but for after school, nor in normal terms, um, you know, sites can provide an after school meal or in a shelf uh, that's shelf stable or hot cold, um, depending on the region, to after school programs. After school requires enrichment um, activities, so libraries automatically qualify for that enrichment. But you know, whether that's you have a structured program or it's just you know a meal service time, it does have to be congregate, normally speaking, um, and has a max of usually an hour for a serving time. Um, so most sites choose to do it right after the school day ends um, and do it for either half an hour, 45 minutes, or the full hour. Um, for that, they do have to collect generally attendance records as well as meal counts. For summer, it's only meal counts. But attendance usually is pretty flexible in being like first name, last initial. So, but the after school meal, if like a library or other setting wanted to do it, they could move it into a more traditional dinner time, like six o'clock or something. Mm -hmm. Yeah, yeah, there's no, um, I don't even think we have like a latest serving time. I, I think the latest the site does serve is maybe around seven or seven thirty generally. But yeah, it's, it can be later in the day too if it's a, if 3.30 to 4 doesn't really work or anywhere around that time. It can be more normal um, to where normal dinner time looks like uh, as well. Okay, and so like a community center would be eligible for something like that with like an after-school homework program or something along those lines? Yeah, so um, homework help, tutoring, um, it can be rec sports, arts and crafts, just something in addition to meal service. Okay, thank you. I think I've gotten through all my notes, all the questions <laughs> I had. I don't know if Anyone else has anything about maybe any supplemental programs or uh, other, well, just any other kind of question? Oh. I think my questions were answered. I guess there is one, one more question I could ask that I don't think we've just outright said yet. Uh, we know they can call you, but uh, if you could give us a phone number, an email address, or something like yeah. that. Yeah, of course. Um, so my phone number is 614-643-8036. And then my email's kind of long, but uh, <laughs> I'll do my best. It's A-R-O-U-D-E-B-U-S-H at childrenshungeralliance.org. If you go to our website, too, we have a staff directory that lists our emails, too. Yeah, okay. And we'll go ahead and we'll uh, put that information out with the audio. Perfect. Thank you. All right. If nobody else has anything. I'd just like to thank you all for joining us. And I think we got a lot of really good information to hand out. I think everybody's been really hungry for information about, you know, mm -hmm. how to get meals started, how to get involved, where they can, where they can't. And I think I think we've given people a lot of information, and hopefully we'll uh, flood your phone lines here. <laughs> but Ashley, the, I'm sorry, Shane. Okay. I just wanted to thank, I, I'm so grateful for everyone for us to be able to do this, but I'm super grateful to you, Ashley, for all the information. I, I, I mean, obviously, we have big questions that are completely unanswerable, like what is July going to look like, <laughs> and when will the libraries and the community centers actually reopen, and when will congregate be permitted, will that be 2021, 2022? I mean, who knows? But given all of the uncertainties, this, first of all, the service that you're able to provide is, is 
absolutely amazing in a time of tremendous need, but also the information that you've been able to give us is, is really super terrific and I appreciate it very much. Thank you. Yeah, absolutely. Happy to be the resource and kind of answer any questions that you guys have. Have you planned for the murder hornets yet? <laughs> I can't hey, say I, that that's how I Okay, I just, I, I'll tell you what, Shane, this is very important to all of us. I just read uh, an art, I didn't read the article, but I saw the headline that murder hornets are apparently a delicacy in um, some areas. They're edible. They can be um, skewered and grilled. You can do all kinds of things with murder hornets. So there we're going to solve two problems here when the murder hornets come. We've got a new a new protein source. I mean, I'm kind of I'm kind of grossed out even as I say this because bugs <laughs> bugs yeah. in culture. I'm, I'm not a bug culture, a bug eating culture, so it's very hard for me. But but that is something that we can do with the murder hornets chain is we can turn them into food. It'd be the size of a small shrimp, so why not? Yeah. <laughs> Certainly Chocolate covered sounds good. Mm. Yeah. Well, thank you for joining thank us. Thank you. I'd like to thank everyone I'm... for coming together this afternoon. And look forward to working with you all moving forward. Thanks for joining us for another episode of Join the Food Fight, Libraries and Food Insecurity from Team Vittles. You can find out more about Team Vittles at www.teamvittles.org and on Facebook and Twitter. Our theme music is Peanut Butter and Jam by Illogical Bit. They can be found at soundcloud.com slash illogicalbit. Music promoted by www.free-stock-music.com Creative Commons Attribution Sharealike 3.0 Unported Thank you. <laughs>